Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes. I am a Catholic youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. In this episode, we are going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, also known as the Our Father. So why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because by the time that this episode comes out, it will be the Friday after Ash Wednesday, which means that it's Lent. And following the Catholic liturgical calendar, Lent is a time of fasting, it's a time of prayer, it's a time of almsgiving, of preparation generally. We want to prepare ourselves and be more attentive to God's Word in this season. Why? Because we're preparing ourselves for Holy Week. We are preparing ourselves ultimately for the celebration of Easter. So normally, this is associated with a time of solemnity and a time of reflection. And so we're going to do just that. We're going to reflect and learn about a prayer that a lot of people are familiar with. A lot of people may have already heard or recited multiple times, especially if you're enrolled in Catholic school, regardless if you are Catholic or not. Either way, I hope you find this useful. I hope you find this fruitful. May this help you in your reflection. May this help you in your understanding, in your growth even. I'm going to lead you through, I'm going to tell you about this later, but we're going to go through a four-part series here on the podcast. So this is going to run for four episodes, including today, which means that after this, we're going to continue talking about the Lord's Prayer for three more episodes. I'm going to tell you about it later. For now, let's begin. Have you ever been asked to pray in front? Have you ever prayed, let's go more specific, have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer in front? I think this is typical, especially in Catholic schools, right? Because oftentimes we start the class with a prayer and maybe you are someone who doesn't even believe in these things or maybe you didn't know what you believed when you were in grade school, when you were in high school, but most likely you have already prayed this prayer or at least you're familiar with it, right? You've already heard of it. You know the words in the same way that you would know the words to say the Hail Mary or the glory be, maybe you have a Lola who is fond of praying the rosary. That's that's just how it is. We pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray the Our Father. It's part of the rosary. It's part of the Mass. It's the part of the Mass where we hold hands. And for some young people, that's their favorite part of the Mass for obvious reasons. <laughs> I hope it's not for that reasons, of course. Um, but, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer is a very familiar prayer to Filipinos. And that's exactly the reason why I thought that it would be helpful for us to go through this for the next weeks, including today. Because it is so easy to take something that you are familiar with, to take that thing for granted. It is so easy that to think that just because we know something about a thing, to immediately assume that we know what that thing is all about, even though oftentimes what we know about that thing is merely what is on the surface. What I'd like to do, my invitation for you as we enter into this season of Lent, well, we are already in Lent, as we talk about this topic for today and for the next three weeks, for us to dig deeper, for us to further understand the richness, the beauty of this prayer. This is, after all, the prayer that Jesus himself 
teaches us, shares with us, there is something here. When I was still going through my master's, which I haven't finished by this time yet, I had a professor who talked about the Lord's Prayer. This was our topic for a month, even more, I think, a month and a half. There is so much. He loved this prayer very much. And now I have learned also, over the years, I have learned also to love this prayer. And I'd like to share a bit about, a bit of my reflections, as well as a bit of the things that I have learned over the years of meditating on this, on researching on this, and so that together we could we could grow, right? That's that's one of the things that we would like to do, what would like to happen. Let me start with the catechism. In the catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 2761, it says that the Lord's Prayer is truly the summary of the whole gospel. One of my other professors used to mention this also, that the Lord's Prayer is the summary of the gospel. Before, I didn't understand it. Like, how, how could it be the summary of the gospel? How could it be that? It's such a short prayer, and I was trying to understand, like, the, the gospel, how does it fit in in that prayer? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And, and maybe in some ways, I still don't get it. But at least my, my appreciation of it and my understanding of it has grown compared to that time when I was listening to my professor talk about these things. There are two times in the Gospels, in the Bible, where the Lord's Prayer is mentioned. One of the times is found in Luke. So in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, I'm reading from the New American Bible Revised Edition. It says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not subject us to the final test. Now, this is kind of a shorter version from the version of the Our Father, of the Lord's Prayer that we might be familiar with, it is mentioned also in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, so this is a bit longer, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. In praying, do not babble like the pagans, who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is how you are to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not subject us to the final test, but deliver us from the evil one. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressors. So those are the two times 
that the Lord's Prayer is mentioned in the Gospels. And you might notice the differences right away. One is shorter, the other is a longer version. One started off by with, with the apostles or with Jesus' disciples asking him to teach them how to pray, while this other one kind of just jumps into the topic, jumps into the subject. In fact, in Matthew, we see this as part of a larger body of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, which runs from Matthew chapter 5 to 7, if I remember that correctly. It's 7 or 8. and uh, I don't want to check right now. 7 or 8. And, and this is a large body of teaching that Matthew, that Matthew accounts for. And we have reason to believe that this would have been the type of topics that Jesus would talk about on a regular day because Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He would go from one place to another, teach different groups of people, proclaim the gospel, and... Matthew's way of kind of putting together a bulk of what Jesus taught from one place to another is by putting them together here on the Sermon on the Mount. And so in Matthew's version, the teaching of the Lord's Prayer does not come from his disciples asking him. In Matthew's version, this is part of a larger body of teaching. Now, which one is true? Which one is accurate? The answer is both. The answer is both. Because it doesn't go against itself. It doesn't go against one another. You see, these could have been two separate occasions which happened. Again, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He would go from one place to another. He would have different people following him. And this could have been two things that both happened that was recorded by two different people, one by Matthew and one by Luke. But the essential element remains the same. The prayer remains the same. Now, there are two different versions of it because that's how it is, diba? Pag nagkukwento ka, when you tell a story on one occasion, you might not tell the, the, the story in the exact same way, the same story. You might not tell the, the, the same story in the exact same way when someone else asks you. It depends upon the situation. It depends upon how you say it. It depends upon a lot of circumstances, a lot of factors. Sometimes you can tell, for example, kami ni Katya, me and my wife, we could tell the story of how we met and how we got together one way when I'm talking to a certain person and maybe a different way when I'm talking to another person. The essential elements will be the same, but maybe some of the some of the details that will be emphasized and some of the details that might be left out might be different. It depends upon the context. And this might be what is happening here. So two versions of the Lord's Prayer, the essential elements are the same. It's not the exact same wording, word per word, but the essential elements are the same and that's what matters. That's what we're looking at, especially if if these two really are separate occasions of teaching for Jesus. Now, let's look at the prayer itself, okay? And I want to invite you, I want to ask you to try to recognize the structure of the prayer. I know that this could be difficult because oftentimes, especially again when we're praying the rosary, we could just pray this super fast. Our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, and so on and so forth. And so that's, that's how we pray sometimes because we want to get over it quickly. But again, my invitation for you is to try to pause and to try to slow down and ponder upon these words and understand what it is that we are truly praying, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite, I'm going to read to you the prayer, I want to invite you to recognize the structure. There are, There is a three-part structure to this prayer. The opening part is how we address God, which is our Father. So at least 
we got that part already. I want to invite you to try to, to try to recognize the second part and the third part and what makes those parts different from one another. Okay? So I'm going to read it to you. Here it is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Did you see it? Did you see it? You see, I, I emphasized, I really, I really intently emphasized the words, okay? You see in the first part, it's mostly addressed to God. I mean, the entire prayer is addressed to God, but most of the, of the, of the lines that we pray are about God. Right? Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first part. But you see, when you go to the second part, it's about us. Which us? The same us that is saying the hour in the hour father. Us, as in People. On the second part, we see, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So we see these two parts, one about God and one about other people, one about us. One is addressed to you, as in you, Lord, and us, people. This is the same structure or the same pattern that we find when Jesus, on a separate occasion, is teaching about the greatest commandment. When we go to Matthew chapter 22, so this is later on in Matthew when someone asks Jesus an important question, okay? This is how it goes. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. I mentioned this last episode, right? when I was talking about how these people who were asking Jesus these questions were not really intent on hearing what Jesus has to say. They weren't really intent on learning something new. In fact, the passage tells us that they were testing Jesus. They were basically just trying to cancel him. They were basically just trying to get him to answer in a wrong manner so that they could catch him off guard, so that they could discredit him, so that, so that he could be rejected by the people or captured by the Romans. That was with their intent because Jesus, in their perspective, was messing things up. And so they were trying to get Jesus to say something wrong. Now, this is often how I put this when I'm talking to the students or the people that I am leading either in a recollection, a retreat, or a talk. When I read this passage, I ask them, okay, okay, the question is, what is the greatest commandment? Okay, have you ever taken a multiple choice exam? A, B, C, D. Oftentimes, it's like that. Right? There are four options. 
kung manghuhula ka, okay, if you don't know the answer and all you had to do was guess, at least you have a 25% chance of getting that point right. You see, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 commands. It is said that there are 613 commands in the Torah. So this wasn't even a 25% chance. This is what this was not A, B, C, D. Okay? This was A up until 613. Okay, I don't know what, what letter that would be. But that was the thing. They were really trying to get him. They were really trying to catch him. Now their question was, their question was, what is the most important? What is the top one, the most, the greatest? commandment. How many answers would you expect with that kind of question? If you were asked what is the greatest, what is the most, what is the top, how many answers is expected of that kind of question? The answer is one. There is only one at the top. There is only one that which is greatest. How many answers does Jesus give? Jesus gives two. What does that mean? It means, hindi magaling sa math si Lord. No, 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 that's not what it means. Okay, this is not about math. What that means is that for Jesus, the first commandment and the second commandment, or at least the second that he mentions, those two are inseparable. Both those two commandments are the greatest commandment. And what is the summary? The summary is, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving neighbor. For Jesus, those two answers are inseparable. They are both, together, the greatest command. Now let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. We see the same structure. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. So it's all about praising the Father. It's all about aligning ourselves with the will of the Father. And then the second part is about asking. So give us this day our daily bread. But it's not just for me. Give me my daily bread. No, it's for us. The same goes for the next part. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. In fact, the very beginning, our Father, it doesn't just say my Father. And we're going to talk more about that when we discuss this next episode, next week. But that's the thing, right? love God and love people. The greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. We see this reflected in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus teaches us. It's so ingenious the way Jesus chooses to respond to this because his answer, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it doesn't, it's not in the same caliber as the other commands such as thou shall not steal and thou shall not kill, right? It's different. In fact, this is something that we read in Deuteronomy. This was a prayer that they were supposed to pray multiple times a day, which is called the Shema. 
The Shema basically means to listen, to listen, to hear. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This was something that they were already praying multiple times a day if they were if they were faithful Jews. So what Jesus was basically pointing out is that the greatest command is for you to live out that which you are already praying. And I think the same applies to us. If we are praying the Lord's Prayer, if we are praying the Our Father, it should matter. It should be the case that we're also living it out. And so let's dive deeper. Let's dig deeper and understand what this prayer really means. That's the first part. The second part, love your neighbor as yourself, that comes from Leviticus, our favorite book of the Bible. I'm sure every one of us have read that book. And if you don't, if you're not catching my tone, I'm being sarcastic here. <laughs> and, uh, okay. This is not the only place where we find this. If you head on to 1 John, so the first letter of John, chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, he also talks about this. He says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, John puts this in, in an even straight, more straightforward way. If you say you love God, but you're not unable to love your neighbor, then you are lying. Then you are lying. For John, this is inseparable. In the same way that for Jesus, these two commands are inseparable. Why? Because one helps illuminate the other. Without one side of those two sides, the other fades into a lesser version of itself. Now let's think about this. Do you know someone who is over-the-top religious, goes to Mass every single day, or maybe not every single day, every single Sunday, is very pious, does all the right Catholic things in the right way, but has a bad attitude when it comes to relating with others, is super rude, super disrespectful, and uh, doesn't really live out her faith. Do you know someone who's like that? That is one way, or that is one way of seeing what it, it looks like to quote-unquote love God but not your neighbor. Your love of God is not radiating to your neighbor, and so it becomes a lesser version of itself, and it's often seen as hypocritical. The other side to this is, what matters is, is that we love our neighbor. That's what, that's what God wants. God is about loving others. And so we love our neighbor. We do everything we can for them. We do all of these noble things. We take part in NGOs and activism and all of these sorts of things. But we don't, we don't go to Mass. We don't pray. We don't commune with God. We don't even try to acknowledge Him. In fact, we might even call ourselves agnostics or atheists. But we don't care about that. Why? Because what matters is that you are a good person. Now, there is also something lacking when it comes to that. We just don't see it. Or at least it's not as obvious in the culture that we're living in today. Without one, the other fades into a lesser version of itself. Let's look at that again. If you really love God, then that love is supposed to radiate to your neighbor. 
the more you love God, the more you see His image, the dignity of the people around you as children of God, as those made in His image and likeness. If you recognize God as your Father, then you know that these people are your brothers and sisters, and so you ought to treat them well. Your heart grows as you receive the love of the Father, and you are able to channel that love to others. You cannot claim to love God if you are unable to love your brother and your sister. That's the first part. Now let's head to the second part. The problem with the second example, you're good to everyone, but you don't really recognize God, or you don't really, your heart is far away from God, is that the problem with that is it's not a matter so much of intention because oftentimes those well-meaning people really do have the intention of loving their neighbor. However, the problem is there could be a mismatch of definition. What do I mean by that? Sometimes even when our intentions are loving, we could still hurt the people around us. Why? Because we don't know love. Because we don't know what it means to love. Why? Because we're disconnected from that which is the source of love. And so we learn love in a secondhand manner from what we observe around us, from what we see and what we learn and all of these things. And that is good and that is helpful. And that is not completely separate from how we come to understand love. However, it is vital for us to understand what love is really like from the source of love. In fact, there is so much that we take for granted in our culture today that before in ancient times would have been considered a weakness. And a good example of that is forgiving someone. Another example of that is charity. Another example of that is self-sacrifice. These are virtues that we consider, you know, basic, that we consider common sense, but it wasn't like that before. Fighting for the victim, upholding the rights of people, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that in ancient times. If you lived in ancient times and you are a slave who faced the king and you told the king face to face because you had an audience with him, you told the king face to face, hey, you know, you and I, we're the same. We have equal rights. We have equal dignity. You, what do you think would happen to you, especially if this king was Persian, especially if this king was Babylonian, especially if this king was Roman? What do you think would happen to you? You would most likely be slaughtered. You would most likely be tortured and killed. Equal palaha, I'll show you equal. It wasn't like that before. It was in the development of the understanding of the image of God, that we are all made in God's image and likeness. This understanding that we all have equal dignity, even though we don't have equal status. Even though our class status might be different, male and female might be different. We come from different backgrounds and different experiences and all of these diversity, which is great, but we have equal dignity and we have God-given rights. That is part of how we've come to understand what it means to love in a very practical way. And that comes from, from, from being in line, aligned with God. And that also comes from being aligned with the church with which God teaches. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 39, kind of similar to the passage that we read a while ago, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed me. Naked and you clothed me. Ill and you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will said to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. God identifies even with the lowliest of people, or at least the people, the type of people that we would consider the lowly. Intention and definition. If you say you love God but you don't love your neighbor, maybe you have a problem with intention. Are you really being sincere? Is that really true? Definition, if you want to love your neighbor but you don't love God, you might have a problem with definition. Having all the right intentions but not really knowing what it's like to love because you are disconnected from the source of love. I'm not saying, okay, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that atheists are bad people because they don't know how to love. I'm not saying that agnostics are bad people because they don't know how to love. Of course, God has ways of speaking to us. God has ways of working through us even when we're not aware. But the thing is, if if God himself is revealing himself to us in these ways, and if God really is true, then why not cooperate? Then why not align ourselves? Then why not see with the light in front of us? It's difficult enough trying to navigate in the darkness, but when we have the light, then we see everything else more clearly as well. As well. I had this conversation with my wife recently and she asked me a question. Uh, if you could simply describe or tell someone what the point of the Christian life is. Because sometimes we say that the point of the Christian life is to get to heaven, to be with God. What is, is that really true? And how, how, how do we understand that? Like, how do you put that in simple terms? And I thought about it. I thought about it and the answer I could give. Um, and and uh, I would love to discuss this with someone else who might know better than me. I'm sure there are plenty of people who do. But the, the answer that I could give her is the point of the Christian life is, yes, heaven in a manner of speaking. But in one word, it's communion. It's to come into communion with God who created us and communion with one another who are our brothers and sisters, oneness before the Lord, with the Lord. That is what sin does, right? Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from one another. In the story in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first sinned, what did they do? They hid from God and they hid from one another. You see, this, that's what sin does. Sin separates us. And so God... In, in, in a very grand display of love, the fulfillment of this ultimately happens in the incarnation, wanting to rescue us, wanting to free us from that which has enslaved us. He enters our experience. He is incarnate in the flesh, Jesus. Jesus enters into our midst so that he could fetch us, so that he could bring us with him into new life and so that we could be reunited once again, so that we could come into communion once again. This is so central that when we receive the Eucharist, we even call it Holy Communion. 
Holy Communion. And the same thing is seen when we're talking about the theology of the body, for example, when man and woman, when they get married and come into this marital unity, that is a form of communion, communing with one another in a very real sense. And that, as John Paul II teaches us, that is a sign of the Trinitarian love, that communion of persons. And that is also partly what the Lord's Prayer is all about. That is how the Lord's Prayer is, is the summary of the gospel. It shows us this fundamental truth. And we're going to continue to talk about this. We're going to continue to talk about this. There are four parts, like I mentioned. Today is just the introduction. It's just the opener. And next week, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this part by part. So next week, we're going to talk about the Our Father, so the first part. The week after that, we're going to talk about May Your Kingdom Come and Onward, so second part. And then on the week after that, we're going to talk about Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. So that's the last part. And I hope that you stay with us all the way through. I hope that this be helpful for you, especially now in this time of Lent. But even if you're listening to this and it's not Lent, I sure hope this is helpful for you. I want to wrap this up by reading, lastly, from... Pope Benedict XVI, when he wrote in Deus Caritas Est. This is in paragraph 18. So I'm only going to read selected parts of it. I'm not even going to read the entire paragraph because it's quite long. But for the sake of brevity, I'm going to read selected sentences. And I would encourage you to read the entire thing for yourself if you could. If you want to, that would be super great. So here it is. Love of neighbor is thus shown to be possible in the way proclaimed by the Bible by Jesus. It consists in the very fact that, in God and with God, I love even the person whom I do not like or even know. This can only take place on the basis of an intimate encounter with God, an encounter which has become a communion of will, even affecting my feelings. Then I learn to look on this other person not simply with my eyes and feelings, but from the perspective of Jesus Christ. His friend is my friend. Here we see the necessary interplay between love of God and love of neighbor, which the first letter of John speaks of with such insistence. If I have no contact whatsoever with God in my life, then I cannot see in the other anything more than the other, and I am incapable of seeing in him the image of God. But if in my life I fail completely to heed others solely out of a desire to be devout and to perform my religious duties, then my relationship with God will also grow arid. It becomes merely proper but loveless. Only my readiness to encounter my neighbor and to show him love makes me sensitive to God as well. Only if I serve my neighbor can my eyes be open to what God does for me and how much he loves me. Love of God and love of neighbor are thus inseparable. They form a single commandment. Love grows through love. Love is divine because it comes from God and unites us to God. Through this unifying process, it makes us a we, which transcends our divisions and makes us one. Until the end, God is all in all.
That is it for today, everyone. I hope you join us for the next three episodes that will come out in the coming weeks. Let's continue praying, observing Lent together. I hope this was helpful for you, fruitful for you. Connect with us. You can connect with me through Instagram. Send me a DM. Send me a message if you think something good or if you want to say something about this episode. Go ahead. That's the best way you can reach me. We also have a Facebook group called Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. The link to that will be on the description. Please do help us out by giving us a rating on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform you're using to listen to this. That helps us a lot so that we could reach more people and share this with your friends, family, on your social media as well. If you find this helpful, that sure helps us a lot. Again, thank you very much for listening all the way through. I am excited for what is ahead of us. God bless, and I'll see you next week. Bye.